Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with K. Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Would you turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You say, Wayne, are we ever going to get out of chapter 7? I don't know. We're not going to finish it this morning, that's for sure. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and the scriptures do not get any easier. These are very, very difficult passages. And so what we've chosen to do is just go ease, inch by inch, just inching through it so that we can understand what the Apostle Paul is doing here. And the title of my message today is Fathers and Daughters. You ever notice how special it is, that relationship of a daughter to her father? And we're going to see this really in the culture of Corinth to a degree we don't really know about today in, in our times. In chapter 7, we have seen that the immature believers of Corinth, how do we know they're immature? Because of what Paul tells, tells us in chapter 3. The immature believers in Corinth have had a lot of questions concerning marriage and singleness, and they're asking the Apostle Paul. Well, Paul answers their questions in chapter 7. Should I get married? May I get married? Should I stay married? Should I get remarried? And all the different questions that have arisen within the culture and the church there at Corinth. Now the thread that runs through the whole chapter that we've talked about so often is the thread that Paul's main desire is that nothing distract us from our walk with Christ. Whether being single, you should not be distracted by being single. Whether being married, you should not be distracted by being married. However, if you're married, there are certain things that you're going to be obligated to that you wouldn't be obligated to if single. But the main thing that Paul wants them to understand is that they should not be distracted in any way. Paul does not want them to miss out on any reward that could be theirs as he talked about in chapter 3. And so that really becomes a thread that weaves itself through chapter 7. Even though it's not on their mind, it's on his mind. When they asked the question, they weren't thinking about that. But when he answers, he is thinking about that. Now, among the different difficulties of studying chapter 7 is the different culture that they lived in during that time. Not only does it contain the answers to questions that we don't have, but also we have to know the cultural background that surrounds some of these questions. If you don't know that, you really, honest and truthfully, cannot properly interpret 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to see that, especially today. The Apostle Paul begins verse 36, if you'll look there with me, with the little word, but. In the Greek, it's the little word transliterated, D-E, the. There's no D pronunciation in modern Greek. It's the. And uh, it is used to change a subject. In other words, when you find it in the text, it means Paul now is shifting gears, moving to something else. What he's just been talking about 
has been, been giving advice to single men, married men, single women, and married women. He's just come out of that. And of the single women, there were three groups. Of course, there were those who had been married before, divorced. There were the widowed. And there were also those virgins that had never married. And the word virgin means either that they've never had any sexual experience or that they're of marriageable age. Now, these virgins are going to come up again now in the, in the text we'll look at today. And it's going to be in the context of them and their relationship to their fathers. It appears from the answers that Paul gives in verse 36 through 38, some of the fathers of these young, or actually now getting older, virgin girls have some questions that they need to ask the Apostle Paul. Now, remember something. At the time of the writing of this particular passage, remember something about the church of Corinth. And that was that some of them had adopted the view that celibacy or being single, not being married, remaining a virgin, was something that was the deep spiritual act that God really wanted them to do. Now remember, Paul was a single man. This is where this came from. And some of the people were of Paul, remember? Back in chapter one and verse 12, it says, now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos, the second pastor. I am of Cephas. And then some of them say, I am of Christ. And you remember, that's the group <laughs> that's in heaven with a fence built around them, thinking the only one there. They had the right person, the wrong motive. But they were attaching themselves to men. Paul being a single man, they said, hey, that's the most spiritual man I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to attach myself to him. And since he's single, I'm going to be single. God must want us all to be single. God must not look with favor upon married people. Matter of fact, after chiding them for their unwillingness to grow up in chapter 3, Paul said in verse 4, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? In other words, are you not fleshly? Are you not living just like the culture around you? So this immaturity, this attaching yourself to men had led to a false doctrine. And that false doctrine was the belief that to remain single was what God would think would be spiritual. Evidently, uh, those of Paul had adopted this view. In their warped minds, they even took it and began to affect the married couples because they took the sexual intimacy in marriage and somehow equated that with the immoral, immorality that was going on in their culture and made the married couples think that, that even to touch one another was bad. And so Paul is trying to unravel a mess that's come out of immaturity there at Corinth. Well, this problem of thinking about the virgin girl and thinking about this might be a spiritual thing to do appears again in our text today. Look at verse 36 through verse 38. He says, but if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter, if she should be of full age, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes, he does not sin, let her marry. Verse 37, but he who stands firm in his heart being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. <laughs> so then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. And I know what's going through your mind right now. You're thinking, I'm glad you're having to teach this. I don't want to try it. <laughs> Boy, when you read those three verses, you're thinking, what is he talking about? 
Well, I'm going to try to unravel it for you. It's not easy. There are three things that I want you to see. First of all is the responsibility of the father in the culture of Corinth. Now to understand verses 36 and 37, you really have to jump to verse 38 because verse 38 sums the two of them up and you begin to see something emerge in that verse. He says in verse 38, so then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. <laughs> now some, some people, it's not as easy as it looks. Some people think that this is talking about because of the original Greek construction of an engaged couple. One of them chooses not to marry, one of them chooses to marry because of the obvious temptation of the, of the sexual impulse that they are going through. Some people think that is actually the interpretation. Some very, very good people. But others, including myself, I'll stand on a different thing here, believe that Paul is talking about fathers and their virgin daughters. And I believe the proof of that is in the word that's used there for the little phrase, he that giveth in marriage. Now that's a whole phrase, but it's one word in the Greek language. It comes from the word ek, which means out. It comes from the word gomizo, which is an alternate form of gomisco, which means to give in marriage, to place out in marriage, to give in marriage as a father does with his daughter. Now this same word is used, if you want to look with me, back in Matthew 22 and verse 30. You've got to see the difference here. Ek. Gamizo. That's a different word than the word for marriage. Ekgamizo means to give in marriage. Then there's another word for marriage. Look over in Matthew 22 in verse 30. And this is the way it's translated there, and I think it's made very clear so that you can get a grasp of what is being said here. <clears throat> Matthew 22 and verse 30. He says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven. He speaks of that day coming when, when one day we'll have a glorified body and what it'll be like. He says the word for marry there is the word gameo. That's Mary. But the word for given in marriage is the word we're looking at, ek gamisko. That's the word we're looking at. And so you see the difference in the two. One means to give in marriage, one means to marry. Look over in Matthew 24 and verse 38. You find it again used and I think it'll help us in understanding the word. What is Paul talking about? Matthew 24 and verse 38. He says, for as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. So you see again, the difference in the two words. So that's why I, I, I'm in the camp that believes he's talking about a father giving his daughter in marriage, not of a betrothed man to his to his. Uh, bride-to-be, marrying or not marrying, because of that word, ek gamiza. Well, it's obviously speaking about a culture that we don't know a whole lot about. In the New Testament times, it was the norm of the, for the marriage of the young people then to be determined by the parents. Now, I know the young people that may be in this service are thinking, whoa, I'm glad it's not, I'm not living during that day. But that was a big time thing in their culture. See, this is what I'm saying. If you don't know the culture of this, this is a very difficult passage. But if you know the culture, it's not so difficult. In Jewish culture, the parents, uh, particularly the fathers, arranged the marriage. That was their culture. That's what they grew up in. Uh, the same custom actually was not only in the Jewish culture, but also in many of the ancient cultures such as Rome. Many people believe that the decline in Rome, in its history, had a lot to do 
with the weakening of the family structure and the fathers determining the marriages there. They really believe it started when the parents begin to back off of that arrangement of marriages. Well, from our context, we can see that it was clearly the culture of Corinth. The father was the autocratic ruler of the house. One of the main responsibilities he had was to determine and arrange the marriage, particularly of his daughter. Now, when you come back, we'll come back to verse 38 in a little bit, but we must see in this verse that the father had a right to decide to give his daughter in marriage in their culture, and he had a right to choose not to give his daughter in marriage. That's the main thing you've got to see, the father's responsibility in the culture of Corinth. He had a right to give her his daughter in marriage. He had a right not to give her in marriage. So then he says in verse 38, so then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. Now, understanding that, let's jump back to verse 36, and we find the second point that I want you to see this morning, and that is the father's right to allow his daughter to marry. Now, this is a tough one. You're going to have to go, and I'm telling you, in some of these verses, you just can't read them real fast and grab the interpretation. You've got to slow down and ease into it so that you can understand what Paul is saying. Verse 36, but if any man thinks that he's acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter, if she should be a full age, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes, he does not sin, let her marry. Well, let's see what we can unravel. You know, when you go fishing and you're in the wind, you don't have a real good reel, and you go off and you try to cast into the wind without a real good reel that, that, that's got the proper weights inside of it, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna get what the, what the professional fishermen call a professional override, which in layman's terms is a backlash. <laughs> and that thing's gonna ravel up like you wouldn't believe. And I, I tell you what, many times I've gotten so frustrated I took a knife and cut all the line off and put a new line on it. But if you want to unravel it, you've got to take it just a little bit at a time, and you've got to go very slow. But if you'll follow the, the, the thread of it, you can finally unravel that backlash. And that's what we're going to do right here, because I'm telling you, it looks like somebody threw in the wind and it backlash in this verse. What in the world is he talking about? Well, the first phrase. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter. The word think there is the word nomizo, not the normal word for thinking. It's the word that means to suppose or to assume. Obviously, this is the reason for the question. It, it may be so and it may not be so. Matter of fact, most of the times it's translated, it means he thinks it's so, but it really isn't. Let me show you how the word is used. Look over in Acts 7, verse 25. Same word, just to get a feel now what's going on. Here's these fathers. They're writing questions to Paul and they don't know something. They're assuming, they're supposing something, but is it right or is it wrong? Acts chapter seven, verse 25, has nothing to do with the context we're talking about, but uses the little word nomizo and gives you an idea of what the word means. It's not the normal word for think. It's a word that means to assume or to suppose something. Acts seven twenty-five, and he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. So he made a supposition there, but it was wrong. But that's the word nomizo. Look over in Acts chapter eight, verse 20. It's used a bunch of times. I just picked two of them, so relax. Actually three, but <laughs> one's back in our text. Acts eight, verse 20. But Peter said to him, may you remember the guy that tried to purchase the power of the Holy Spirit of God? He'd been watching television and thought that if you send the money in, you could get it. And so he said, I want to purchase it. And Peter said back to him, 
But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. So he, he, opposed, he, he supposed something, but he was wrong. Now, 1 Corinthians 7, back in our text, 10 verses back in verse 26, Paul uses it, and he's giving some advice, but remember something, this is the word of God. It's sanctified advice. So it's something you, you need to look at, not just make an assumption, really take it into consideration. He said in 1 Corinthians 7, 26, I think then, and that's the word, nomizo, that this is good in view of the present distress, that it's good for a man to remain as he is. In other words, if he is in the state of being unmarried, stay that way. Why would Paul say that? Well, he's a single man. However, it's not just advice and opinion, it's sanctified opinion. So take this and think about it very carefully. The father in verse 36 thinks, now go back to verse 36. The father in verse 36 thinks he's been acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter. Now, what is he talking about there? He's, he, he, he's made a supposition, he's, he's assuming, and so he asked Paul the question, a question here. The word acting unbecomingly is the word askimoneo. It, it, it means to behave in an ugly, indecent, unseemly, or unbecoming manner. Now, it has a broad scope of meaning. Paul in no way is suggesting that the father has been immoral with his daughter. That's not what he's saying at all. But what he is saying is the father is beginning to get the feeling and saying he's, he's supposing that he's treated his daughter wrongly. Now, why would the father of the virgin daughter think that he was treating her wrongly? Well, go on in verse 36. But if any man thinks that he's acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter, you know what? If she should be of full age, that's a delicate word here for those ladies who might be single this morning and be of full age. <laughs> it's a very delicate word. Comes from two words, it's eper and akmos. Eper means beyond, and the word akmi means um, the flower of one's age, particularly in, in respect to marriage. Uh, in other words, his daughter is getting beyond or past the flower of the age of her life, past the usual age of marriage. She's one of the unclaimed blessings in the church, if you can put it in layman's terms. And let's just leave it there. I don't, I don't want to make anybody think they're too old or whatever. But he's talking about the fact that this father has kept his virgin daughter at home, not letting her marry, and now she's one of the unclaimed blessings and she's getting beyond that, that particular age to marry. And the father's getting under conviction. <laughs> he's kept his virgin daughter from marrying. Maybe it could be. Now, we don't know this for a fact. You might take it and put it in your computer. Remember, if he was of Paul, if he was one of those, and some of the views that they had, he might have made a vow to God, thinking it was a spiritual thing to do. He went to camp, and somebody told a dead dog story, and he thought, well, I'll go home and keep my daughter single because that God will be pleased with me if I do that. How many times have you done some stupid things like that? No, don't raise your hand. I can tell by your smile. We've all done it, haven't we? <laughs> thinking God's going to be pleased with this. Now he's gotten a little older. The daughter's gotten beyond marriageable age and he's thinking this thing through again. He's thinking, uh-oh, I might have messed up here. Now, but this was not right for her. Evidently, she's come to him and protested it. You've got to remember, this is believers here. And even in the culture, she still had a voice with her father. And evidently, he's, we have to read between the lines because it's not as clear as we'd like for it to be. Evidently, she's come and protested and Paul himself, matter of fact, speaking of the love the Holy Spirit of God produces in us, uses this word unbecomingly over in 1 Corinthians 13 and he shows a contrast. Let me show you something. Go over to 1 Corinthians 13 and verse five. Paul shows a contrast in behavior. 
A man who thinks he's acting unbecomingly evidently is not loving his daughter because it's in the context, the characteristics of what love is, what the love that the Holy Spirit of God produces in you, not only for the Lord, for others, but for your family. And a father that loves his daughter would not act this way. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love does not act unbecomingly. Look at the contrast. It does not seek its own. In other words, something has gotten to this daddy. He's beginning to realize it's selfish for me to keep my daughter at home. Even though in my culture I have the right to keep her from marrying, she's come and protested to me and I'm beginning to realize I've been selfish in my attitude towards my single daughter. Now he's seeing it differently because you see, anytime you're confronted with uh, an apostle here and he's, they're asking questions of him, there's some things you begin to think through and evidently he sees it differently. But if any man thinks that he's acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter, if she should be of full age, and if it must be so, <laughs> that's, that's made up of two main words there, it must be so. The word ophilo, which means you're obligated to do something. He's feeling that obligation, folks. God's gotten on this old boy. He's feeling an obligation. And the word genome, which means to bring something about. Evidently, he's come to the conclusion that it's been wrong to treat his daughter this way and to keep her at home for himself. And she's come and even protested. And perhaps somebody's asked for her hand. And the old boy, he doesn't know what to do now because he made a vow perhaps before God and said, I'm going to keep her single. And so he writes to the Apostle Paul and said, I got a question. If I let her marry, have I sinned? And the Apostle Paul is answering that question. He recognizes in his daughter the need to marry. He recognizes he's done wrong and needs now to allow her to do that. So Paul says, if, it, if that's the case, if this is, evidently that was his question. We don't know the question. We just know the answer. And Paul says, hey, if that's the case and you think now you need to go on and let her marry, do so. You have not sinned. But if any man thinks that he's acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter, if she should be of full age, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes, he does not sin. He doesn't sin in any way by breaking a vow if he's made one. We do not know that, but it appears that that could be part of the problem. He's done right by her. He, he has the right to let her marry. This is not sinful. Matter of fact, actually the phrase, let her marry in the Greek is let them marry. And it's not really a directive to him as much as it's a directive to them. In other words, if she's gotten that old, I don't know how old he means. <laughs> The older I get, the younger it seems. But whatever age she's gotten to, evidently Paul is saying, hey, you, if you want to get married, go get married. Because there's a point. The father's jurisdiction over the daughter perhaps ended. And, and so he's not just giving that directive to Paul. He's giving a directive to them. She's appealed to the father. The father said, I've done wrong. I'm going to let you marry. Paul says, this is not sin. Let her go ahead and marry. But he had the right over the years to make the choice to allow his daughter to get married. And so he follows through. Well, the third thing comes up in verse 37. The father's right to prevent his daughter from marrying. Got a different, exact, Paul balances the equation. Verse 37, but he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart, to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. <laughs> Don't you love these verses? 
Now, I would love to just do topical sometime, get up and preach on the love of Jesus and the sufficiency of Christ and the cross and the family. But you know, when you go verse by verse, you just got to go verse by verse. And so what he does, he gives a contrasting situation. Verse 36, the father says, I've done wrong keeping her single. Am I sinning by letting her marry? Paul said, absolutely not. But then here's another father. He's got a question. Whoa, wait a minute. I'm not like him. I don't think I did wrong. I have kept her from marrying. Is this wrong? Paul says, hey, you're right too. <laughs> now let's work our way through this. Take it slow, phrase by phrase, and it's not as hard. Verse 37, but he who stands firm in his heart. Now, this is interesting. The word me means to stand. Same word used in first, uh, or Ephesians, rather, chapter six, when it talks about the warfare. Stand firm. It's in the perfect tense, which means he made a decision years ago and this decision has been long standing. He's, he's been thinking this way for a long time. This didn't come overnight. He's been thinking that way. He's been standing firm on his belief to keep her single for a long time. The reason he stands firm is because the Lord led him to his decision. Now, Wayne, how did you get that? Do you read again the scripture? No, let's continue on. The word for firm, stands firm, is the word hedrus. And it's related to another word, which means he's moored like a ship. He's moored to the right foundation. He's tied to the right foundation. And in the context, what would the right foundation be? It'd be the Lord. So the Lord evidently has led him to this decision a long time ago. So therefore, he can stand firm and continue to stand firm. He's a conviction of his heart. We must read between the lines. Evidently, the daughter had something to do with this. I guarantee you, we, don't, we can't prove it, but the daughter probably came to her daddy and said, Daddy, I'm not inclined to marry. <laughs> I haven't seen a redneck I want to marry. So I want you to protect me and I, I totally submit to you. And the two working together, father, daughter, have come all the way through this particular period of time and, and, and it's a conviction in his heart. Well, you say, how would you know that she had come to it? Next phrase. Being under no constraint. The word for constraint there means necessity or compelling force. Now, what was it that moved the father in verse 36? Evidently, the daughter came to him and protested. And he went before Paul. He said, Paul, hey, I made a vow, but now what do I do? If she wants to marry, should I let her marry? Evidently, there was some kind of compelling uh, a conversation there. But here he says he's under no compelling force. Where would the compelling force come from? Not God. I don't think he's talking about that. I think he's talking about his daughter. His daughter hadn't said a word. She's fine. Well, she does not see it as necessary. But he who stands firm in his heart being under no constraint, look at the next phrase, but has authority over his own will. The word for authority is the word exousia, the right and the might. But the word for will is the word dilemma, which has to do not just his will and his intent, but the good pleasure of the father towards his daughter. He's got, he's got the power and the pleasure to protect her from being married. Now remember something. If you were living in the city of Corinth at that time, the most wicked city in the world, even when people would act immorally, they would say, you're acting like a Corinthian. I mean, that was the, that was the reputation of the city. And you had a daughter, and the daughter began to look around, and she said, you know, Daddy, I don't see anybody out here I'm interested in, and I tell you what, I'm gonna line up under you. You protect me. And that father says, by the Grace of God, I'm going to protect you. It'll be my good pleasure, and it'll also be my right and authority under our culture to protect you. I'm going to keep you from getting marriage. It was his pleasure and his power 
to keep his daughter at home. Well, in verse 37, because of verse 36, we know evidently she's not made any compelling force to him to change the situation. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. Now that little phrase, and has decided this in his own heart. The word for decided there is the word that means to determine to do something. <laughs> My wife's a determined person. She makes up her mind to do something, but she's determined to carry it all the way through. This is the way this old boy is. This is not something that, that's uh, in any way uh, finicky or, or fickle. I mean, he's, he's made up, he's determined. I remember one year we were gonna go visit her parents and uh, back when her dad was living, they lived in Kentucky. And she had the car so loaded full because she came out of a, ch a family of eight children. It was around Christmas time and some folks had given us some money. We took all that money and bought presents for all of her family because they never had much of a Christmas uh, many times because there were so many of them. I mean, they had a great Christmas, but they had so many of them. But we just decided we were gonna be uh, the ones to take some gifts to them. We had the car packed. It was one of those old Ford, four-door uh, cars, big ones. I'm great, they, they was long as a battleship. And I remember I wanted to take a nap because we were gonna drive all night long. Diana would always say, let's drive at night and I'll keep you awake. Yeah. She was asleep before we got out of the city limits every single time. She never did follow through with that promise. But she said, Wayne, I want to take this rug home to my parents. I said, Diana, there is, there is no way you can get that rug in the car. She said, well, I also want to take these end tables. I said, Diana, look at the car. It is full. We have spent two hours packing this car. There's not even enough room hardly for me and you to sit in there. Well, okay. Well, I went and took a nap. She's determined, folks. She is determined. I got up from the nap, walked out and looked at that car. And I want to tell you, so we drove all the way to Owensboro, Kentucky, and I never saw her. <laughs> Not one time that I ever, I could hear her. It was a muffled sound. It was on the other side of the rug that was crammed between us. And she got the end tables inside of there. She was determined to see it all the way through. That's the word right here. That father says, I believe God's spoken to me. I believe I've got the agreement of my daughter. I have the right in my culture to protect her. And I'm going to carry it all the way through. He's determined to what? And has decided that in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter. Now, that's the key right there. The word to keep does not mean to keep for yourself. It has more the idea of to protect his virgin daughter. Now, obviously there's some, there's some good things going on between, mama, from, between, between daddy and daughter. And she's come to that place that she realizes that she's not inclined to marry. And the father, obviously, having the right and the might, he has the, the power to say so or, or to allow her, to, or, or not to allow her. And so now he's determined, buddy, that he's gonna protect her regardless. And I, I, you have to read between the lines here. And what I think what's happened is some old boys have come knocking on the door. And she's checking them out one by one by one. She's saying, Daddy, uh-uh, no way. Daddy, help me. Daddy says, I'm determined. I'm going to protect her. <laughs> I'm going to keep her from marrying. Paul says, if the man chooses to do that, in the culture of that day, he will do well. In other words, in no way is this a power move by the father over the daughter. Obviously, Paul could not have said he will do well because he would contradict himself in what he talks about how to love a person, how to love a daughter later on. We'll go back to chapter 7 and verse 28. Now remember, we saw this, and this, this principle carries right into this verse. And verse 36 also. He says in verse 28, but if you should marry, you have not sinned. 
And if a virgin should marry, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. Here's a single man saying to them, okay now, if you do choose to get married, with it's gonna come a lot of responsibility and pressure you didn't think about. Now let me let, me, let me let you know, I warned you, but you haven't sinned if you get married. And so he says to the father, who says, I'm gonna protect my daughter. He says, you do well. You can tell that old bachelor saying that. He said, you do well. <laughs> That's exactly the way he sees it. Because he says, now she's free to be undistracted in her walk with the Lord God. For the question for the single daughter is not what is right and what is wrong, but what is good and what is better. Now remember the thread that goes through here. Don't let anything distract you in your surrender to Christ. If the daughter in this case had put restraint upon the father, then he should allow her to marry, like in verse 36. But she didn't. Therefore, evidently they agree, daddy and daughter, she should not get married. Paul says, they've done well. Then in verse 38, now you see the verse that we read first, we come back to it. So then he who gives his own daughter, virgin daughter in marriage does well. That's fine. No, he hadn't seen it. And he who does not give her in marriage will do what? Will do better. <laughs> but again, that's his sanctified opinion as a single man. Because <laughs> he, he sees the difficulties of the day, he realizes the wickedness of the area around him, and he says, hey, if you choose to do that, and that's agreeing with her, good. I'm a, I, I think you do better in that light. In the light of eternity, Paul still sees that remaining single or getting married is not the issue. The issue is, what does God want? And the issue is, will it distract you in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? And so fathers and daughters in their culture evidently had that type of relationship and the father had the power to determine whether she could marry or not. Obviously, she had a voice because there was no compelling in verse 37, but there was in verse 36. And so we see then he moves with his daughter, but he wants to make sure he's doing right. And under grace, he is, and if he chooses to protect her with consent of the daughter, under grace, he still is doing right. And he said, oh, Wayne, thank you a lot, really appreciate that, but what in the world can I take home from this thing? <laughs> I mean, this isn't our culture. But now folks, if you'll look carefully, there are many things that you can take out of this, but particularly one thing. And this is the thing that's very tender to me, and the more I prayed about it, the more God put it on my heart. That is the relationship of children with their parents when it concerns marriage. I want to tell you something. That is something we've lost in our day. And as a result of that, we have three out of every four marriages breaking up. There needs to be in the Christian family now, understand what I'm saying. In the Christian family, there needs to be that relationship between not just father and daughter, but parent and child when it comes to being married. I'll tell you what, a father can spot a wrong attitude in a guy quicker than anything else. There's a radar built inside of us. And I know when Stephanie started dating, you remember I got up here and told her, I announced it in church and she was 16. I said, she can now date, remember that? And I put the baseball bat up on my shoulder and said, I wanna meet with all the boys that are interested out behind the education building. And that worked for a whole year, nobody called her up. <laughs> ben, a father can smell out a wrong intention that fast. You let that old boy come home for supper and let the daddy sit down and talk to him. I'll tell you what, that's the greatest protection that child has ever had. Because she's blinded by love, the daddy's not. And even though our culture is different, the daddy wants to selfishly keep her at home. And so he's fighting a battle already inside himself and he's gonna tell her the truth when it comes to that buddy real quick, whether she likes it or not. And I'll tell you, a mother can spot it in a girl when a guy can't. He can't see it. 
I mean, he's just too naive. I remember I was dating this girl when I was in college. Good night, I took her home. My mama got me downstairs, got me in the kitchen. She said, Wayne Allen. I always was serious when she said, Wayne Allen. She said, what in the world are you doing bringing this girl into this house? She's not, I said, what, mother? What are you, man, I got mad and slobbered all over myself. I was so mad at her. About a year and a half later, I, I went out back and, and I couldn't get peace and I finally broke up with her. And about a year and a half later, she had to get married. My mama spotted that in that girl. I was too blind in love. Thank God he's given us parents to work with the children. And if the children will grow in that relationship with their parents and, and let the daddy and the mama play a real role in marriage, even though it's not our culture that we determine or not determine, let God determine it, but let the parent and the either one of them be the grid you run the whole thing through to make sure you're hearing correctly from God. Let it be a, a joint effort. I'll tell you, I cannot tell you how much I've been blessed by the marriage of Stephanie and Eric. You just cannot know. You don't know a lot of the story. You don't know the story. How Stephanie was so concerned in her heart that we be pleased with who she married. And how she came to us and said, Daddy, I think I've met. She said, oh, he's so handsome. And said, Daddy, I watch him play ball every day. And I thought she, her dorm must be right by the ball field. Her dorm was 400 yards from that ball field. I'm thinking, how do you tell which one he is? I mean, they're all so little on that field. What kind of binoculars you have in, those, in that dorm? But she began to tell me about Eric. And I could tell it was different. There was just something about Eric that Stephanie wanted me to know as her dad. She wanted me to know that. And so one day she brought him home. <laughs> I wasn't so sure. Diana had met him and Diana had come home and said, I've met who she's going to marry. And I was thinking to myself, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. <laughs> I haven't met him. I haven't met him. Well, she came home with Eric and I want to tell you what I felt like that Eric, I couldn't have picked a better one. I, first time I met him, I thought to myself, thank you, Lord, for giving me a daughter that has that kind of judgment when it comes to people. Well, Eric began to plan. He came one day and asked me if he could marry my daughter. I, I'd always planned for this moment, thinking to myself what I was going to do. <laughs> Have you ever thought about it, dads, and your, your daughter hadn't married yet, and you think that old boy comes in, you know, and says, you know how they're nervous, how oh, he was sweating. I knew good and well what he was about to do, sitting over on the hearth by the fireplace there, and I was sitting there on the chair, and I said, how you doing there, Eric? I started talking to him about everything, and Eric was saying, just shut up, I want to say something. Finally, he got around. He said, Mr. Barber, he said, I'd just like to ask you if I had permission to, to marry your daughter. And I was thinking about all those years I had figured what I was going to say at that time. Those times when I felt like, absolutely not. Are you crazy? <laughs> but you know, it was so sweet because of the way they had prayed about it and the way they had gone through us and the way they had brought each other uh, together and the way they had come and, and let us meet them that I, man, it was so easy to say, absolutely and we, as a matter of fact, Eric and I had prayer. Well, Diana in my family is a romantic. And so Diana gets in on this thing and she and Eric plan out how Eric's gonna ask her to marry. I'm telling you, you put these women in this thing and it'll be messed up in a minute. <laughs> and so they decided, Eric and Diana decided he's gonna drive from Pennsylvania now. He doesn't have a car at that time, so he's gonna drive his brother's old beat up pickup truck in the middle of the summer with no air conditioning, straight on a Wednesday, he's gonna drive all the way to Chattanooga. 
And he's going to ask her that night after a Wednesday night service. Everybody else had gone. He had planned the time so everybody would be out of the building. He's going to ask her right in this building, in this building right here, right down here at the front. Of course, the front was a little different back then. And so they planned it out. Well, he drove all that Wednesday. Diana, that day, was I, you wouldn't believe. She was so nervous as a cat. Man, she's so excited. It's going to be so romantic. Eric was supposed to come in in a certain time. Well, he got here a little late because of the traffic and all coming from Pennsylvania. When he got here, he couldn't find a place to change because we still had people in the church. Well, Diana's role was to take Stephanie to a Bible study. She had a little discipleship group. She met it at McDonald's on Wednesday night. She had a bunch of girls she discipled. So Diana drove her over to make sure that Stephanie did not drive. Diana had to drive her so that Stephanie couldn't get back here too quick. So she took Stephanie over to McDonald's and dropped her off. And Diana said it always blessed her to drive away and seeing her praying with those little girls, not knowing that in a few moments, about an hour, she's going to be asked to be married. Because Stephanie had read Daniel, Daniel, the book of Daniel when she was 12 years old. And when Daniel purposed in his heart that he'd be pure before God, Stephanie said, God, I want a purpose in my heart that I'll be pure before you for the day that I get married. Matter of fact, the first time she ever kissed a boy was, was at her wedding and I wanted to say hallelujah, I mean, finally. But she waited all that time because Stephanie had purposed in her heart. Dinah was so excited. I was nervous as a cat. I couldn't see how this thing was gonna work because the timing was off. Eric got here late. He couldn't find a place to change clothes here. You know where he went? <laughs> over to the Hamilton County Nursing Home. <laughs> and he went in the office. He said, folks, I'm from Pennsylvania and I came down here to ask my girlfriend to marry me. And she, I'm going to, he told him what he was doing and said, I need a place to change clothes. And they got so excited, the nurses over there said, all right, yeah. And they, they took him over and got him a place to change clothes and freshen up. So Eric comes back over here to the church. Now it's late, now it's late. It's pushing 9.30 or whatever. People are gone out of here. And so he comes in <laughs> and he starts in the back back there and he puts little rose petals on the, on the carpet. Back then it was all blue carpet. We didn't have the burgundy or whatever this color is. And he put rose petals all the way down leading to the front down here. Then he put little paper hearts. Now these, these people that are so creative, I'm not like that. I asked Dinah to marry me on my way into church out of the parking lot. I said, hey, will you marry me? Yeah, well, okay. here's a ring. <clears throat> I mean, he goes to this elaborate thing. So he's got little, little hearts, little paper hearts with little love notes on them by each pew all the way down, all the way down the aisle. He cuts the lights off in the auditorium and he puts candles down here at the front and that's where he's gonna kneel down before and ask her, ask her to marry him. Stephanie's at a Bible study over at McDonald's. Well, Diana, her, her role, <laughs> she's always involved in this kind of stuff. She, I'll go get her, boys, at a certain time. She goes over and gets Stephanie. Well, now how is she gonna get Stephanie in the auditorium? I mean, Stephanie's finished with the Bible study. Let's go home, Mom. So she comes by and she says, listen, I need to talk to your daddy and he's in a meeting and I think they might be in the auditorium. Now, of all things, if Stephanie just thought about that, why would you have a meeting in the whole auditorium? I mean, uh, but Stephanie came in. Now, this is the funniest thing. Stephanie came in. Eric's hiding. He's kind of off. Of, he's he's going to let her read the notes coming all the way down. Then meet her down at the front. And when Stephanie came in, she came flying back to the car. She said, Mama, something weird's going on in there. <laughs> she said, the lights are off and their candles down front. Scary. <laughs> Diana had to park the car, get out, and say, well, let me go in and see what's going on. So she had a leader in here. And finally, Eric came out of hiding and it all took place and the proposal and the marriage. And I remember that day that they were married. What a sweet time that was. You know why? Because when you marry somebody, you marry their parents. And I want to tell you something, young people. 
this is what we could pull out of this whole thing. The relationship of the parents and the children when it comes especially to the time of marriage. If you don't know, you do marry the other family. You may not think that, but I got something to tell you, hang on. You better get used to it, you do. And if you don't have that relationship with them, see, that's when it all begins to break down. Then little Holland come along now. What a joy that has been to watch this whole process. Now you say if somebody's been here today, say, well, I'd have known that back then. Hey, hey, well, it's not to condemn anybody. You're not condemning Christ. But what I am saying to those who haven't gone that far yet, it's not too late to develop that relationship with the parents and let God work through that and get the parents' approval. And I guarantee you, you'd be blessed because of it. So there is something we can pull out of this. Of a cultural situation, there is something we can live even today. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.